It was almost 40 years ago that I was sitting in a, in a waiting room of a hospital all by myself. A young, young man, very young. I had a nurse walk into the waiting area and she pointed at a phone booth and she said, there's a, a woman that's going to be giving you a phone call here shortly. I gave her the number in that phone booth. She says that uh, she is your wife's grandmother and she wants to talk to you. Now, my wife was 20 miles away recovering from a C-section uh, from the birth of our first son. She was in a hospital in Orange Park, Florida, and me and my firstborn son were in Baptist Hospital in the heart of Jacksonville, Florida. And um, it's midnight, and the nurse comes and tells me this phone's going to ring, and when it rang, I went and answered it. I had never met this 80-something-year-old woman in my life. I, I didn't know who she was. I, I'd been told by Ruthie and by members of the family that this woman was a prayer warrior, that she knew how to pray. She got me on the phone. She said, young man, I know you don't know me. She said, but I know where you're at and I know what you're doing. She said, I've been praying. And she said, I've heard from God on this matter. Now, let me tell you what the matter was. How many of you ever heard of a tracheoesophageal fistula? My, uh, my firstborn son had one of those. His, his throat went down an inch in his chest and dead ended. And the part coming up from his stomach grew straight into a windpipe. So when he breathed, he breathed with his lungs and his stomach. And um, well, I've only got 30 minutes here to cover the material, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abbreviate the story a little bit about the miracle of how the doctors found this before they gave him something to drink and drowned him, killed him, you know. But there was an elderly doctor in the room in his late 60s, and he'd seen um, three cases of this in his lifetime. And when they handed the baby to him, he said, something's wrong with this child. I'm going to take him to x-ray. And he found the problem. So he's in surgery for six hours. They've removed a rib. They've shoved a microscope in there. They've cut everything loose, and they're trying to sew it all back up where it belonged, you know. And I had been warned that he was going to have to have a series of operations throughout his lifetime, and uh, they would be treating this condition for the rest of his life, but not according to Grandma. <laughs> Grandma said, I have heard from God on this matter. And he will never be operated on again for this problem. This is it. Three children later and one last rib on one side. <laughs> uh, he was just at the house last night with my beautiful Texas daughter-in-law and three grandchildren. Um, a 19-year-old and, a, and uh, about an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, you know. And... Uh, Aaron fixed my fireplace while he was there and did several other things for me at the house. He's just fine. He's never had to be operated on again. Now, I'm, I'm jumping way ahead to tell you this, but the fact of the matter is, if you don't learn anything else today and our little bit of time together is prayer that is based on relationship 
is the most powerful prayer that can be prayed. Prayer that is based on relationship. Because we can pray all kinds of prayers. How about the, you ever heard the story you're driving down the road and you're towing something. Next thing you know, an identical thing to what you're supposed to be towing is passing you on the interstate. And, and a lot of people have had that happen. Well, you don't have time, let's say, even to pray the whole Lord's Prayer, do you? <laughs> How about God help me? It's a powerful prayer, isn't it? It's a powerful prayer. And God answers that prayer, doesn't he? God answers all kinds of prayer. But I'm going to take you through the word this morning. I'm going to show you why prayer based on relationship is so powerful and so important. And I'm going to challenge you to do this. Let the Holy Spirit cause these words to sink into you today because I'm telling you, I've seen this before and I believe I will see it again in my lifetime. That church bodies, groups that get together and rally around the power of prayer they see God do great and mighty things. And if you'll, main, you, you, you'll maintain the correct perspective about it, not only will God do it, but God will keep doing it. Because it's really, it's just based on your obedience to God, that's all. It has nothing to you. How many of you know Jesus is the one that's special here? Amen? The Holy Spirit is what is precious. God's desires are what are most important. And no matter what happens around us or about us or even through us, it's not nearly as important that, how many of you know that God can speak through a jackass? You know, he can speak through a donkey. It's in the word of God, really. It's there, <laughs> you know, it's there. God can do great and mighty things with a lump of clay that's willing to be used. So, Prayer based in relationship. Prayer based in relationship. The last time we were together, I was able to share with you a couple of little things from the New Testament about prayer where Jesus said, uh, Father already has uh, knowledge of what you need before you even ask, right? But he followed that with, so when you pray. Say that with me. So when you pray. One more time. So when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. All right? It's a powerful statement. In Isaiah 59, we're going we're to spend some time in the Old Testament this morning. Isaiah 59, by the way, in, in the way of introduction here, we're in a series of messages called, what does it say there? Headwaters, right? Headwaters. And under headwaters, we're studying our tenets of faith, what we believe. How many of you need, need to know what you believe if you attend a church? What's the church believe? I, I think it's important, amen? We believe in prayer. And I have the honor and the privilege of talking about it this morning. Prayer. Isaiah 59, verses 14 through 17, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying. He speaks for God. He says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth is stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. Does it sound familiar? You know, that's why human nature, it's because human nature is pretty consistent outside of the influence of Christ. Sounds like we're reading headlines from the newspaper, doesn't it? Uh, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Now, what, what he's prophesying about is a, a future event. What, what, and I'll prove it to you. I'll show it to you. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man. 
He saw that there was no man. Say that with me. He saw that there was no man. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Now, powerful words start rolling out here. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Who's he talking about? He's talking about his son. When Jesus, or when Father looked at the earthly situation that Isaiah was talking about, and he's talking about the period of time that would unfold just before Jesus himself was manifest in this world, born as a baby. There was no one out there for God to use to do any more things that he wanted to do in this realm, so he turned to his son Jesus. I'm going to tell you why that's so vastly important. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Now one of the, one of the problems with this passage of scripture is that uh, the children of Israel when they met Jesus Christ, they wanted that entire prophecy to be fulfilled in their lifetimes. Part of that prophecy, though, from Isaiah had to do with what Jesus is going to be doing in the last days at the end of the tribulation. How many of you know that Jesus knows how to take vengeance? But he wasn't there to take vengeance in their lifetime of the time that he was born. Does that make sense to you? It's one of the reasons why they rejected him and hung him on a cross because he wasn't a military leader. He refused to be a militaristic leader for them and deliver them from the yoke of the Roman Empire. Does that make sense? All right. With that in mind, in this introduction, I want to take a, a little bit of your time to persuade you to consider some of the truths revealed to us in the Bible that I believe could revolutionize our prayer lives. We'll say, Brother Dennis, I don't, I don't know how much did you read there about prayer, well, back up and, and let's look at this one powerful truth. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man. Say it again. He saw that there was no man. One more time. He saw that there was no man. How many believe that God looks for people? He looks for people to be used by him. What did we say? What did we say when we talked about prayer before? You know, God is powerful. He can do anything he wants to do anytime he wants, right? But he chooses to work in this realm and reveal himself in this realm through who? Us. That's a powerful statement. You've got to let that sink in. If God himself showed up in this room and introduced himself to us and, and did some God-like things, then you wouldn't need faith to believe in him anymore. He's looking for people to have so much faith in him that he can use them to do great and mighty things and not ruin them while he does it. Most human flesh can't take it, though. They can't handle it. Spirit and flesh doesn't mix. And God's not here to lift up flesh. He isn't going to lift up flesh, right? Now, here's a powerful thing that I, I learned about this. This is the first point of the message that I learned, and it has to do with prayer. Just bear with me. Number one, God can be amazed. 
That's what the word wondered meant there. Looked up the original word. In the Amplified Bible, it used the word. And God was amazed that there was no one to intercede. There was no one for him to use. At the time that Jesus was born, there were no major prophets. There were no minor prophets. There were no people out there being used by God for him to manifest himself to a lost and dying world. So it was time to send Jesus. Why? Because God works and reveals himself in this realm through people. It just came time for Jesus to be used to do it. Now, Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He's been raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And it just opens up the door for a whole lot more people to be used as children of God if we're just paying attention, if we're just doing what we're told to do, if we're being intercessors. Can you say amen? When I was a kid, we raised cows. And... You could put cows in a pasture, and they're fine. They eat grass, they drink water, they eat feed. But if you did something different, like you put up a new gate, the cows would gather around that gate, and they would stare at it. That's what some of you look like, a cow studying a new gate. <laughs> My prayer is that God uses me to get through to you today on prayer. Because if we do that, with God's help, it'll change the direction of this church, change the direction of your homes. It'll change the direction of your lives. So, well, I, Brother Dennis, I've never heard of, you know, God being, you know, amazed at anything in my life. Well, it's in there. It's in the Word right there. It's in the Word. You know, God said in Genesis, let us make man in our own image, right? So that means that the same array of emotions that we're subject to, God's subject to those emotions God can be amazed can you be amazed I'm amazed that you came to listen to me today <laughs> I'm happy <laughs> I'm glad but I'm amazed in Luke chapter 7 verse 7 there's a story and I'll just refer to it quickly if God can be amazed can Jesus be amazed what amazed Jesus there was a Roman officer who sent word to Jesus that I need you to pray for my servant, that he'll be healed. And all the disciples and the people that around him said, oh, Jesus, this man is a good man, loves God, loves the Jewish people, does many wonderful things for the Jewish people. It would be wonderful you pray for him. Jesus says, okay, we'll pray for him. So they start going that way. The, the, the officer in the Roman army hears that Jesus is coming to, him, to his house. And what does he do? He sends a servant to Jesus, and he tells Jesus, whoa, you don't need to come to my house. He said, I'm a man like you. I am a man of authority. If I order a man to go here, he goes there. If I say go there, he goes there. And if you just pray for my, you pray for my servant, he'll be set free. And Jesus was amazed and said that I have not seen so great faith in all of Israel. So we know that God and Jesus can be amazed, amen? What amazes God? What amazes God? Could it be that God expects his children to be prayer, people of prayer, interceders, intercessors, so common in the heart and mind of God that when he finds us not being that, it amazes him. Think about that. I mean, I'm not, I, I want to be careful. I don't want to twist the word. 
uh, what does it say? It says, and he saw that there was no man and wondered or amazed that there was no one to intercede. There was no intercessors. There's a level of expectation in the heart and the mind of God that his children will be intercessors and will give him opportunity to move through them and to act on their prayers because it isn't, you know, if it wasn't for the sovereignty of God, and God's desire to get some things done in spite of us, whether we pray or not, nothing would get done in the hearts and lives of some people, I'm telling you. So God's sovereign, and God's willing to be sovereign. He's willing to move, he's willing to work, but he would rather work through you. How do you think God answers prayers? I mean, say that I have a financial need, and uh, no one's praying for me. Is God going to create a printing press in heaven and print the money out for me and, and send it to me in an envelope? God's not a counterfeiter. Well, let's just say that all of the children of God that are supposed to be prayer warriors and intercessors, they're not listening to God. They're not praying. They're not talking to God about their needs and the needs of others. And no one meets the need. Many needs go unmet in the lives of people in this world today when God's children fail to be people of prayer. So God can be amazed. And what amazes him? When his children fail to be people of prayer. Second point I want to make with you is that God likes intercessors. God's, God's partial to intercessors. He likes to hear from his children. I, I told y'all the story. I mean, Ruthie knows I love her. I married her, you know, this January 2nd will be 41 years, but she still likes to hear me tell her I love her every day. God has that in common with her. He still likes to hear me tell him I love him every day. And I can't tell him I love him every day if I don't talk to him every day. Amen? I want to read a passage of scripture to you here about intercessors. In Genesis 18, I've got it written down. You may want to make a note about it and go look at it later. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What did he just begin to do? He just began to intercede for a group of people. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Are you familiar with the story? Raise your hand. Are you familiar with the story? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth so do, uh, earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. How many of you can do the math? <laughs> the dentists know there's three kinds of people in the world, those who are good at math and those who are not. Okay, two kinds of people in the world, not three. <laughs> but, but I can follow this math. Can you, can you say amen? All right. 
Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. At one point, did the Lord get angry with him? Never did, did he? He got all the way down to 10, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it could have been even a better story if he'd have dropped the number even lower. Why? And not once did the Lord tell him, you know, stop, don't bother me with this. No, I've already spoken. My mind, you know what this tells me here? the mind of God can be influenced through prayer. I mean, it's in the scripture. Am I twisting the word? I'm not twisting the word, amen? God's a merciful God. He wants to help. He wants to meet needs. He wants to move through the prayers of God's people. Abraham was a true intercessor, amen? Where did he learn that from? Do you know at this point in his relationship with God, he'd been hanging out with God for a while. Where did he learn to do this? He learned to do it from God. He learned to intercede for God. Bounce with me to Exodus 32 and verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? I'll tell you why it burned hot against his people. While Moses was up on the side of the mountain getting the Ten Commandments etched into stone by the finger of God, the children of Israel were down there in the valley melting all their gold down and making golden calves and saying that those gods brought them up out of Egypt and not God. And if that ain't enough to upset even God, <laughs> I don't know what is. But Moses implored the Lord as God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt and great power and great, with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this laid uh, and all this laid that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, Moses went on down and had the tablets in his hand. And he knew what God had told him about what the children of Israel had done. And he interceded for them, right? But when Moses got down there, he got so upset he did what? He busted the first tablets that God had made that he had inscribed the Ten Commandments on with his finger. That's how upset Moses got. And so a few passages of scripture down, Moses shows how far is he willing to go to intercede for the children of Israel. He goes back to God in Exodus 32:30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, and there's a dash, a pause. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses said, please forgive them. But if you can't, then blot my name out of your book that you have written. 
That's called stepping in the gap. That's what prayer is all about. That's what intercession is all about. And what kind of prayer are we talking about here? Prayer that's based in relationship. Do you realize that my wife's grandmother wasn't asking anything for herself when she prayed for my son? Really? She didn't even know me. She didn't know how wonderful I was. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) She had not yet met me, you know. She didn't know my baby boy. She stepped into the gap. She prayed until God spoke to her and told her, tell him there'll be no more operations. There'll be no more surgery. Moses was willing to give his life. Amen? For the children of Israel. Going back to the passage of Scripture in Isaiah, the prophecy about Christ. Up to the time that the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the coming of Christ, the fact that God likes intercessors goes to the truth of why prayer should be so important to our body of believers. The Bible is replete with examples of God seeking out people to use to carry out his will in the world. What if we all just stop praying? What if we all just stop praying? You know? God helped the world. Amen? Now, Whenever you put some people in a room and you step behind the pulpit, you begin talking, it is in all, re- all reality an awesome responsibility. It's kind of what makes me feel a little anxious. I take very seriously this honor and this privilege to stand before you and, and say certain things. But now, because if you're not careful, you can make comments and easily be misunderstood or taken out of context. I'm writing, I'm reading my own words I wrote. And instead of edifying the lives of the people, you can muddy the waters of their lives, and that's not my desire here. So it's something I don't take lightly. So as my grandmother McKinney would say, eat the meat and spit out the bones <laughs> for what I am about to say. We talked, and, and I'm focusing a lot on the Old Testament today, right? I focused on the New Testament last time I talked about prayer briefly, and I'm focusing on the Old Testament now. But point number three, put it up there. Put point number three up, and I'm going to tell you why I came to this conclusion. God likes to talk to people. Point number three. Let let me give you this point like this. Why do I just up and say God likes to talk to people? This is what I'm saying about that I have to be careful about because what I'm about to share with you is an observation on my part, okay? I don't have time today to prove to you in the Word of God what I'm about to say. So I'm going to challenge you in your prayer lives and in your Bible study time to kind of keep this in the back of your heart and mind and look for it yourself. Now, there are lots of secrets God has. He's God. He's going to have secrets, right? But I'm telling you, he likes to talk. God likes to talk. Now, now, now pay attention to this very carefully. What's my proof that God likes to talk? Go back to Genesis and move all the way through the Bible and what you're going to find out is Every great and magnificent thing in this world that God has ever done, he had to just tell somebody first. He had to talk about it. He talked about it. He told somebody. You understand what I'm saying? He liked to tell people what he was about to do. And then they'd get to talking about it. And, and, and then the word would get out there, God's going to do this thing. And faith would rise up. And then God would do that thing. 
God talked about, do you know how many years he talked about delivering the children of Israel from, the, from Egyptian, the Egyptian slavery, the Egyptian yoke? How many years he talked about it before he did it? A long time. But he talked about it. God likes to talk about things with people. He likes to talk about his plans. If you have prayer that is based in relationship, listen to this carefully. Here's a little twisty for you. If God tells you something that he doesn't want you to tell anybody, don't you think he can tell you that? It's more often than not, God will reveal his plans, his ideas, the things he wants to do to people because he wants them to talk about it. But if you become an intercessor, say you're not, but you become one, the times that you know you're supposed to keep your mouth shut, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. Do you know in the Old Testament, I'm I'm getting a little off note here, but I'm running out of time. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, There's an Old Testament scripture that talks about the spirit of a man as the candle of the Lord and searches all the things of his belly. In other words, God knows everything about us. And the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord. You know what I call it? I call it manure down deep on the inside. I can stand here and tell you I've never heard the verbal voice of God in my life. But Jesus said, my sheep, know my voice they hear me they know my voice my sheep know I'm not going to I'm not going to give you any examples you know I'm just going to say this in general terms I remember looking at a photograph one time and I saw that photograph and God told me it's yours you're going to have it and I heard it so plainly in my in my spirit You know, not words, I just knew it. Listen, have you ever found yourself with all of a sudden a deep spiritual thought cropped up in your brain? You better not take credit for that. It didn't originate with you. Great, deep spiritual thoughts don't originate from you. They originate from Father. So don't tell me you've never heard the voice of God. Every one of you at one time or another had something pop into your head that all of a sudden you knew, that's brilliant. That didn't come from me. (laughs) You heard the voice of God. You just got to be trained to know it when you hear it. The more time you spend with him, the more you're going to learn about that voice and the more you're going to know when he said something to you. Then all you got to do is obey him. If he tells you to be quiet about it, be quiet about it. If he tells you to talk about it, blab your mouth off. (laughs) Tell everybody. Tell everybody. And just remind them, hey, when God brings this to pass, it's God, it ain't me. It's not you. That's what ruins. That's what ruins sometimes God using people as they, they mess it up. We can muddy things up like nobody's business. You know, we can mess things up. How many of you understand we don't want to be messing things up? So the third point is God likes to talk to people, right? Now, I know that God likes to talk to me. That doesn't mean I'm comparing myself to, to Abraham or Moses. As a matter of fact, I, I knew a pastor that I'll call Bill. It wasn't Greg, it's Bill, okay? <laughs> it wasn't Greg, but Bill told me, he said, you don't believe what my wife said to me this morning. He said, I told her. I just came away from my devotions and I read in the Bible. He said, you know, Abraham, uh, Sarah called Abraham Lord. She instantly said, when you're half the man Abraham was, I'll call you Lord, <laughs> which I kind of like. I'm not comparing myself to Abraham or Isaac. I'm comparing myself to you. We don't, 
you know, Abraham and Isaac, they were special people. And God told them huge things, right? God wants to tell you everything that he can trust you with to do the right thing when he tells you about it. If he tells you to be quiet, be quiet. If he tells you to talk, talk. Now, here's one thing I will say about me. I will tell you that what do you hear me talk about most of the time? What do you hear me talk about? Two things, really. One's prayer. Because I believe, once again, I'll tell you, prayer is one of the most powerful forces in the world besides the grace of God. And what's the grace of God? God's love. So love, God's love is the most powerful thing in the world. And then grace is a manifestation of that love and prayer is right up there with them. Prayer is powerful, people. Prayer is powerful. We just don't know it yet. If we did, we'd be doing it. Hey, I I got bad news for you. If I'm in town, Brother Crespo, if I'm in town, where am I on the first Saturday of the month? I'm at prayer right here. Why? Because it's an opportunity for for a, a few Christians, up to a dozen. We've had up to a dozen show up on Saturday morning. Do you know how many demons you put to flight with that many people bonding together in the name of Jesus? You, you know, that talk about that math. Talk about that math a little bit. I mean, that's, that's thousands of demons can be put to flight by a handful of people binding together in prayer. That's how powerful prayer is, all right? That's how powerful prayer is. I'm going to close with this, and I mean it, Nathan. I'm closing with this. <laughs> I got to quit doing that to him. <laughs> they, my children used to make fun of me when I'd say, in closing. They'd say, you don't, Dad. But having said that, you just don't. What stops people from prayer? That's what I'm going to close with. What stops people from prayer? I believe, and, and, and you, you know, if you agree with this, nod, you know. But I think a lot of people feel unworthy to talk to God. Am I right or wrong? They just feel unworthy. And I wouldn't plan on sharing this, but this is what I'm closing with. In 2 Timothy, I believe in chapter 2, Paul's talking to Timothy. And he's talking about people, you know, that, that are being prepared for prayer or whatever. It's, not, it's about worthiness. Do you remember these words? In a great house are many vessels. Look around you. You know what we all are here in this room today? Vessels. In a great house are many vessels. Some gold, some silver, some earth, and some clay. Some to honor, some to dishonor. And and, and it says... To make a vessel to honor. So, so you got gold, you got silver, you've got earth, you've got clay. Some to honor, some to dishonor. And it says the only thing you got to do to be a vessel of honor is to purge yourself of the things of the world. So what, is that, what does that mean? That means get right with Jesus. If you get right with Jesus, does that mean I'm telling you old things pass away and all things become new. But does it mean the fight while you're alive is over? Aren't we still fighting sin for the rest of our lives, really? Aren't, aren't we supposed to? But now we've got Christ's help to resist sin. You know what I say to people? You don't have to be perfect to be an honored vessel, but you better be a fighting vessel. <laughs> you better be one that's resisting sin with God's help. Did that mean you win every battle? 
but it means you better be resisting it. And so if we resist sin in our lives with Christ's help, we can be a vessel of honor. We proclaim our dependence on Christ. We thank God for the shed blood of the Son that cleanses us afresh and anew and keep praying. Pray without ceasing. I thank God that, that I just move around most of the time talking to God about everything around me, everything I see, everything I do. That's not bragging. That's just me knowing what kind of vessel I'd be without Christ. I'd be a vessel of dishonor without Christ. I can only trust Christ. I do not want God to be amazed because I don't pray. I just want him to expect that I'm just going to keep on praying. All right? So what have we learned here today? God can be amazed if we aren't people of prayer. Amen? God likes intercessors. He's partial to them. Why? Because, you know, God in, in all of his infinite wisdom, for whatever reason, chose to work through men's prayers, men and women's prayers. Okay? To work through people's prayers. He can do it any way he wants, but this is the way he chooses to do it. Don't ever forget that. So if you're lazy about prayer, understand that you are not helping God get the mission done. Okay? And the third thing is God likes to talk back, right? It's, you know, a relationship, prayer-based in relationship is a two-way conversation, right? Okay, now listen to this quickly, and, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for all of us. I believe with all of my heart that God's not finished with this country. He's not. I mean, I, I, I get, I'm tempted to get so sick and tired of television and, and watching the news and hearing all the garbage and the junk going on. So you're tempted not to pray about it. It's just thinking, oh, the end is near. I'm telling you, there's a great revival left in this country. And I'm telling you, if you'll just take that into your prayer life and talk to God about it and see what he says to you about it, and you'll start having the shingles fall from your eyes, and you'll start to see what God wants to do. Now, listen to me carefully. It's just a, really, I mean, there's a goodly number of people here today. If we all got caught up in this kind of intercessory prayer, revival would be our lot right here. And I'm telling you things that would cause people to be drawn to this little building to come be with us just to see what God's going to do next. Then the only thing I'm going to leave you with before I pray for all of us is this. You have to protect those things that God does in our midst. No flesh can take credit for it. So all we're going to do is obey God, right? We're just going to obey God. We're just going to let God be God, right? And then don't let things get out of hand in this light. On the other side of that coin, the devil will try to stop that revival any way he can. Recognize the hand of the devil when he shows up because what he figures, if he can just get some people doing some stupid things and blaming it on the Holy Spirit, Okay? Now, the Holy Spirit can do some unusual things, but the Holy Spirit doesn't do stupid things, all right? And if you recognize when the devil's trying to do something to get the children of God to push past the mark instead of hit the mark, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. And let God have his revival in our lives. Amen? Are all of us vessels here that want to be vessels of honor? If you do, then stand up with me. I'm going to pray for all of us. Father, in Jesus' name.
what an honor, what an honor, and how humbling it is for you to have allowed me to stand up in front of this great people today and, and speak your word. Thank you, Father. I thank you that I'm just, I'm just somebody from the South that, you know, I just want to be a piece of conduit for you to flow through. I thank you for that. But I do believe with all of my heart that your word has not gone out and will return void. I believe your word went out today and it's going to change lives. Father, I know because of the people that have stood in this room, there are people who are crying out to you to help them to be vessels of honor and not dishonor. Vessels of honor so that we can be used by you. So that when we just even think about you and, and we lift up a prayer to you and in our thought life, Father, that it is a powerful thing. I thank you that we can just walk around in our daily lives talking to you all the time, even if it's just thinking about you and telling you that we love you and that we care for you and we thank you for being our Father. Thank you for allowing us to be your children. Thank you for teaching us how to be intercessors for your glory. We don't want you to be amazed anymore, Father. We don't want you to be amazed because we don't know how to pray or we don't know what to do or we don't know how to be intercessors. Forgive us, Father, for the times that we have failed you and caused you to be amazed unnecessarily. Father, I thank you that I believe it was you that spoke it into my heart and mind and I'm talking about it. Revival is our portion. I thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you once again for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us afresh and anew of all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. Thank you, Father, that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I thank you for every person in this room that has accepted you as their Savior. I pray that no one will leave here today without the simple dynamic truth manifests in our lives that all we have to do is yield to you. All we have to do is let you have your way in our lives. I thank you that you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you're omnipresent, omniscient. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name, though, that there are trends in the Word of God that show up. There are trends in our lives. We've learned, Father, now that you like to work through us. May we not fail you in Jesus' name, but may we step up to our responsibility. Father, I want to pray for... Pastor Greg and Pelzetta, all the way over in Hawaii, where they're at right now. Thank you for watching over them. Thank you for keeping them safe, Father. And thank you for reviving them in their physical bodies and in their spirits. Thank you for refreshing them, bringing them back to us safely. And energize, Father, for your glory. But may they find a church on fire here when they come back in a greater way than ever before. For your glory, we ask these things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.